podcast, cutting edge conversations with the Quant community. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Quantcast, Bristol Nets podcast on quant finance. I'm Mauro Cesar here hosting, and today I'm speaking with Colin Turfus, who is a senior quant analyst at Deutsche Bank here in London. Welcome, Colin, and uh, uh, good to have you. How are you? Well, Mauro, thank you very much. So I feel this is a special episode, not just because we've got you here, Colin, but also because this is the first podcast that we record in the studio in London after 18 months of uh, remote recordings. So the good news for our listeners is that uh, the quality of the audio should be higher. Now, Colin, the pretext for uh, having you here in this conversation is the publication of your latest paper, Risky Capital Pricing with Backward-Looking Rates, in which you extend the Hull-White model uh, to include um, credit risk. Now, uh, the paper is online, I should say, in Bristol Net and in print in the August edition of Risk. Um, this is, I don't know if you agree with the description, but it is the latest chapter of a series of works you have published over the past two or three years. Could you tell us a bit about the background and the motivation behind this series of works and this last one in particular? Yes, well, the work uh, is the culmination of or the development of uh, uh, six or seven years of research, which I have been doing into uh, analytic solutions for short rate models. And the work has uh, has expanded in various ways into hybrid models. And I've developed techniques which facilitate that rather well. It allow, they allow me to calculate analytic solutions for the, the model itself rather than just particular products. And in that way, it, it lends itself fairly well also to extension by putting additional variables, addif- additional underlying assets into the mix uh, and extending the formula uh, accordingly. And so this work, in a way, is, uh, is, has been facilitated by the tools which I've been developing over the last seven years, as I say. Good. And specifically to this paper, uh, yes. what problem are you addressing here? Uh, we're looking at the problem of calculating options which are based on the new uh, risk-free rates rather than on LIBOR. Uh, this is a problem which uh, it's, it's been looked at in a different context, so the solutions were kind of known, uh, but uh, I looked at it last year, uh, used my methods to, to get the general solution, extending the whole white model uh, to incorporate uh, the risk-free rates in addition to being able to handle LIBOR. And the particular paper is the extension of, that, uh, of these formulae to be able to handle, in addition, uh, credit risk where the credit is stochastically varying and there is potentially wrong way risk associated with that. So you said that you are extending uh, the Hallward model in this paper. Uh, can we just recap briefly what the Hallward model is and does and uh, uh, why, in particular, why are you extending on this particular model? Uh, the Hallward model is uh, a short rate model for, uh, for pricing uh, interest rates. Uh, where the interest rate may be stochastically varying and where that may impact on the price. Uh, it is one of the, perhaps the seminal short rate model uh, for interest rates. Uh, and one of the reasons for its enduring popularity is that it has nice analytic solutions for zero coupon bonds. 
uh, in other words, for stochastic discount factors. And in addition, you it, it facilitates uh, analytic option pricing, uh, both for LIBOR options uh, uh, and for uh, swaptions based on LIBOR. The LIBOR transition process has obviously fueled uh, quite a lot of research in the past, in the recent past. And uh, one example is the work by Mercurio and Lyashenko. Uh, could you, I was just wondering, what is the relation between what you are uh, working on here and their work? Uh, the the work I'm doing is on short rate models, which are, uh, as an interest rate model, they have a they have a certain limits to their uh, their their usefulness. Uh, the work of uh, of uh, um, Mercurio and Lyashenko was on the LIBOR market model, which mm. is more of a go to model for people who are doing hardcore interest rate derivatives because it gives you a lot more flexibility in being able to to fit to the the market more accurately. Um, so in my case, uh, I'm less interested in being able to do that kind of thing. If you're using the hull point model, you're not really going to be doing highly accurate pricing. You're more interested in its flexibility in being able to typically be incorporated along with other underlyings into a hybrid model so that's the kind of uh kind of focus that i uh have in in my in my work i see you also incorporate another classic model the black karasinski one uh what is the purpose of that uh yes the black karasinski model i i use uh as a, a credit model uh, and the reason of course for going for the black karasinski model rather than hall white is that uh, the black karasinski uh enforces that the the rates which are modeled remain positive which is a requirement of a credit model uh black karasinski was has been in some ways popular as an interest rate model less so than hull white because it doesn't have the analytic solutions that hull white does uh, but hull white has come into its own a little bit again because it it does allow negative rates and now that rates have very often become negative across mm-hmm. uh, developed economies. Uh, this is seen as more of a strength than a weakness of the model that you get that out of the box. Uh, yeah. Yeah, indeed. So, what application do you see for this model, and what products in particular? Like you stress that uh, this is to model the rate rather than uh, products directly, but could you expand a bit on uh, on the applicability? Yes. Uh, the well, the the main application. Uh, is the one which I cite uh, in, in the paper, which is um, for interest rate cap floor credit derivative instruments, uh, which are fairly common in the market, uh, but where they are extinguishers. In other words, the payments are contingent on the survival of a named credit. So the IR cap floor extinguisher or IR swap extinguisher. Uh, so that's 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 that that's the main product which is explicitly uh, ad- addressed. Uh, there, there, there also uh, by the by the same uh, approach, uh, we can look at uh, f- uh, floating rate notes, where the issuer themselves is a, a named credit, and obviously if it's a bond which is issued, paying paying floating rate payments. Uh, the payments will be contingent on the survival of that uh, of that named credit issuer. So the particular interest in the paper is well, I've done previous work where uh, 
the payments were assumed to be LIBOR. And in this case, I'm looking at how the formulae would have to be modified if, as will typically be more and more the case in the future, these floating rate payments are risk-free rates uh, compounded. So do you see this as a uh, front office tool or a model validation one? Uh, well, it's a good question. I'd probably have to say that as a model validator, I'd probably go for the second, but that says more about me <laughs> than about the model. Uh, it, it, it certainly could be used for front office work, although I'd say probably front office uh, usage is more likely, if, they're, if it's being used for trading options, is more likely to go with a more sophisticated volatility model than the Hull White provides. And so for that reason, probably not as important in, uh, in, in the front office context. Uh, but certainly if, if one's looking at hybrid derivatives, uh, it's more likely that the, the, the interest, the stochastic interest rate is not going to pay such an, play such an important role in the calculation. And so potentially, yeah, one might use it for some front office pricing as well. But for me, the model validation angle is the more interesting one. Uh, I've, uh, because the, the model and uh, the, the work I did, have done on it facilitates analytic solutions, uh, it allows me to, to generate very rapid benchmarking, uh, which is useful for doing uh, validation work. It can be, it can be uh, rapidly coded up uh, in Python, and it can also be run rapidly. Uh, but perhaps the more the more interesting uh, application that I would see in the in, in the longer term for this kind of thing would probably be more in a market risk, where even though there you've got fairly simple derivatives, you often have to value them in a context where they're in a portfolio alongside multiple other underlyings. And often you are concerned that there is credit risk of some sort or another associated with that portfolio. Uh, and when you start putting these sort of more complicated model, uh, uh, market risk models together, it's often more important to be able to get the model working well and in uh, a nice Monte Carlo environment, which is manageable, than to be able to price individual options in a very uh, accurate way. So I feel potentially, and especially as people are, uh, banks and financial institutions are tending to do a lot of work still in their market risk models in improving them and making them more efficient because the regulatory changes which are going on are impacting on the requirements that uh, financial institutions face, whereas the drivers for change in front office models are not really as strong uh, in financial institutions generally. So uh, are you saying that this is particularly suitable to handle high dimensionality? Uh, that's correct. Yes, uh, that's one of the one. That's perhaps one of the main selling points of the approach that I take. Uh, that rather than as many uh, methods, similar calculations using asymptotic methods as I do, will tend to have been focused on finding an asymptotic solution for a particular derivative price with a particular payoff. My approach has been rather to look at the model itself and to try to derive a general solution for a certain n-factor model, and then to take that general solution and apply it to multiple payoffs. And one of the benefits of that is once you've got a, a flexible n-dimensional solution to a model, uh, and the techniques which allow you to create that, 
it's often not that difficult to extend it to an n plus one dimensional problem. And uh, so, yeah, the, the, the approach I take, I would, I would say, yes, it does rather play into that multidimensional context, yes. And the other selling point that you might, uh, you might highlight is, as you said before, the um, analytical form and the closed form solution that you derive from this. Um, what are the advantages of having a closed form solution compared to a Monte Carlo based model? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, the obvious answer is if it's analytic, um, you can code it up a lot more quickly and you can run the code to create the, to create the, uh, to, to, to calculate the solutions uh, more quickly. Uh, the downside of that uh, would obviously be that an analytic solution only solves the particular problem. Uh, whereas if you build a Monte Carlo model, you can tweak it to handle uh, multiple cases. Mm. Um, as I said to you, one of the advantages of, of the approach I take is that you get a bit more flexibility to rebadge your analytic solutions to new problems. And as I found, once you've coded up one or two payoffs, when you want to use similar techniques to, to address different payoffs, you can often reuse your code quite substantially. So there, there are these advantages. Um, one other point, which is one which has come out of the model validation, which is one which probably people don't think about quite so much, but in a model validation context, it is important. Uh, and that is modeling extreme cases. Because even though you've got a, a Monte Carlo model, which works nicely, uh, and uh, you think that you trust it, uh, under regulatory uh, scrutiny, it's often asked whether that model performs under extreme conditions of extremely high volatility, for example. And uh, it's, well, it's, it's known whether you code up your model in Monte Carlo or using finite difference, it's well known that if you crank up the volatility high enough, the model will eventually break. Mm. And the, the point is, how do you demonstrate to regulators that your model hasn't broken unless you've got a benchmark which you can compare against? And uh, one of the nice things is that the modeling approach I take with the short rate models is not contingent on the volatility being small. It's only contingent on the rate being small which it almost always is. So I can crank the volatility up to very high levels indeed, and I have confidence that the model is still giving me good numbers. And so I can see where the numerical model is struggling uh, and at which point it breaks, which can be quite useful in being able to demonstrate to regulators that my model is working even at the high volatilities. I see, very, very interesting. So now what is the next step on this uh, stream of research? Uh, there are there are various streams which I've been pursuing uh, since the since 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 the from the outset of my my, my researching, typically adding in as I say uh, different uh, underlyings, and this recent work uh, is is in a sense the combination of two streams. Uh, the first stream being the incorporation of credit risk into an interest rate model, uh, uh, the second one uh, being the incorporation of uh, risk-free rates uh, alongside credit, sorry, uh, risk-free rates alongside uh, being able to price LIBOR products, which requires an additional variable in the equation. I think that we are, we are, we've been looking at more recently is the ability to uh, extend the model to be able to, uh, to cover volatility, which uh, is not just deterministic in terms of it being uh, a time-dependent function, mm -hmm. um, but to uh, 
extend the model in such a way that it, it, it can capture volatility, skew and smile. And so that's the, the, the direction which we've been we, we moving in uh, as of this year uh, in work that I've been doing with a colleague, Aurelio Romero Bermudez. Um, we've presented some early results from that uh, at, at conferences uh, and uh, it seems to work quite well. Uh, and I, I, we're hoping that in the future we can integrate that more flexible volatility uh, modeling approach into some of the other work that we've already published, uh, in particular perhaps to, to look at uh, uh, risk-free rates as, as, an, as an important obvious next step uh, as, as this becomes more and more current. Well, I hope to see those developments uh, soon. And uh, Colin, it was a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks very much for joining us. It was a pleasure to be here, Maro. Thank you for inviting me. And thanks everybody for listening. <laughs>